Chip just dropped off. He saw that Barker wasn't on the broadcast anymore, and he dropped from the backstage area as well, leaving me to talk to you people for a minute until Jeff Barker gets back into the studio. That's okay. What's up, folks? I am Trey. You heard me on the Midday Show with BK a little bit earlier. You'll hear me with Jeff Barker in just a few minutes. We have a big show planned for you today. Going to talk about a great weekend and continuation of that weekend for Texas Longhorn Sports. Volleyball wins another natty. The football team is picking up commitments left and right, not just from the transfer portal, but also from the um, from just high school recruiting as I get a text message from Jeff and try and talk at the same time. A lot harder than patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. Let me tell you, Jeff will be back in a few minutes though, but Texas just got a big flip at the safety position and uh, also landed a transfer at that same safety position. So Steve Sarkeesian and company turning areas of weakness or perceived weakness into areas of strength very quickly. And it's one of the reasons why you've seen this turnaround in year three for Steve Sarkeesian and company. They understand what the current landscape is. And I think that they are being properly aggressive and how they address that uh, and how they have addressed that over the last few years. They've really set a standard that you've seen other blue blood programs slow to adapt to. Clemson is a great example of that. Even Alabama, Nick Saban have had some issues here and there. Now, in Saban's instance, perhaps it's a little bit tougher for him because they have been in the college football playoff over the last few years. And when you are in the playoff, it puts you at a disadvantage. But then again, Steve Sarkeesian is also having to prepare for a college football playoff semifinal game right now too. And he's still getting it done. So huge credit to him for that. It looks like Jeff Barker's Wi-Fi blew out at the worst possible time. So he will hopefully be back here in a few minutes. In the meantime, I will turn to you people on the YouTube comments line. Always do appreciate those texts on the comments line. Also, that code of text line as well. That's 512-222-9328. Michael C. says, Karate Kid 3. Karate Kid 3 was the Bonsai Tree Karate Kid? Perhaps I was off with my reference there. I thought that was the Karate Kid where... We uh, we had the, the little drum figurine that you were rubbing back and forth like Boy Scouts used to try and start fires with sticks as Brad Kellner joins me right now. What's up, BK? Good to talk to you again. Yeah, I'm not sure if you need me or want me, but uh, I heard what was going on, so I figured I'd make myself available. I was in filibuster mode, but I do appreciate having somebody else to talk to here because I hate hearing my own self speak for more than, I don't know, 15 seconds at a time, so... To talk for five plus minutes at a time is is uh, nails on the chalkboard for everyone. But it looks like Barker got his Wi-Fi issues fixed. <laughs> so you stepping in is appreciated for 45 seconds and he's gone now. <laughs> Sorry about that, Trey. That was hilarious timing because it was right when Chip and Zay dropped off too. And I'm like, oh, somebody must have punched Jeff out of the studio. But it just turned out that your Wi-Fi dropped you for a second, huh? Yeah, and I'm glad I, uh, well, actually, I wish I'd taken a second earlier to just be like, oh, can I get on any other web page besides the Texas Sports Unfiltered studio? And then when I did that, I was like, oh, yeah, and I immediately booked it over the other room over here and did the old, uh, the old IT special, Trey. Reset. Unplug it, plug it back in. That's right. 
And here we are. That's the original reset. See, technology way back when was one of two things. It was either turn it, like unplug it and plug it back in. And that does still work. And the other method that used to work a little bit better because technology was a little bit sturdier because it had to, it, it just had to build, be built bulkier, right? Because they didn't have nanotechnology as on point as it is now is you just punch the shit out of those things. <laughs> eventually their work. Like I remember hitting my old school NES, my old school yes. entertainment system, or like you dip, you can blow on the game or dip the game in water and the game starts working again. Whereas if you try and do that with the little SD cards that are the switch games now, or a lot of game systems like our Xbox is this case, we don't even have games anymore. You just download the games. And I guess you get to a point, with storage where you have to delete certain games so you can bring other games onto your video game system. You know and what in I, ways it's a shame in other ways. It's like, yeah, a lot of those games just took up space after a while and collected dust. Do you remember when you used to take like the disc out of the PS two or whatever? And then, I mean, CDs also, and then yeah. take like a napkin and wipe the back of it off. Yep. <laughs> but I do remember you mentioned just giving it a good old whack. I do remember damn near just beating the crap out of my ps2 at some point just hoping that it would work and sure enough like sometimes you would just or like a game boy you just smack it a couple times and then all of a sudden it would work oh the which, game boy yeah and that's another good example see the old video game controllers were great because it's a lot like old cell phones where you could legit spike those things off the ground like your rob <laughs> gronkowski and it still works just fine through the first i don't know thousand spikes you try that with even like the PS2 controller, you're having to buy a new controller pretty quickly. Same thing with the Nintendo 64 controller. As soon as you got the um, the little joystick like device as part of the uh, as part of the the video game controller, I think that really changed a whole lot to go along with. I don't I don't fault them for making video game controllers a little bit less sturdy because they're probably leaning into the idea that there are going to be stupid kids out there like myself back in the day. We're going to get way too violent when something doesn't go well for them on the video game and then force them to rebuy a controller to keep playing that addictive game. Yeah, there were pretty much thresholds for me of like when, it, when I played Madden of how many picks I threw to how violent I was with the controller. And usually if, if you had if you threw a four pick game like we were going to GameStop the next morning to buy a new one. <laughs> And then, and then my dad would give me some sort of lecture about how I got to like take care of my shit, you know? Yeah. Well, and here I am now. All of a sudden, the temper got a lot better when I had to replace it with my own money. Uh, it's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. like, maybe I shouldn't spike this and have to go pay $55 for another controller. Exactly. If you keep bailing your kids out, they're just going to keep that behavior up. If you take away whatever it is that they think that they enjoy, but they're spending that much uh emotional capital because something doesn't go their way that's a big problem oh, no Especially doubt. frustrating now as a 45 year old because i've gotten back into video games these this last year or so because my son got an xbox where he actually bought an xbox with money that he acquired over a couple of birthdays and it's like six and seven he's really good at saving money thankfully he took after my wife in that regard where i've started playing video games again the only thing i play though is fifa in FIFA, they have these different levels, but one of the levels is too easy, and the other level is really freaking hard. And I, I like the challenge, but it's also like I find myself getting back into that mindset where the video, if the computer, because you know how computer has a cheat mode 
where it's yes. like regardless of whether you do something okay. right, if you're on a level high enough, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. We're going to make sure that we're successful right here. A hundred percent gets to me uh, to no end. And so like something like that will happen and wife or kids will come up and say something and I'm being really short with them. I'm got to like catch myself like, no, I cannot revert back to preteen or early teenage years. Trey, who's just a giant asshole to everyone and everything because something's not going right in a video game. So on, on Madden for me, I play, that's, like I said, that's the only game I play. I'll play NCAA when they, when they bring it back. I buy FIFA like once every three years and I don't care that much about the players. I just yeah. like having some, you know, version of it within two, three years. Yeah. Modern so that the really good players are the really good players. And then I'll play online occasionally or if buddies come over, but Madden's the one where like I play dynasty mode against the computer, love to build the team and do all that kind of stuff. But Man, that game on, I can't remember what's underneath all pro. All Madden's the highest, all pros second or third, second highest, but the third one. The one underneath that's the same way that you were saying where it's too, it's too easy. So yep. I'm winning every game like 45 to 10. And it's like, okay, like occasionally those are fun, but you want to, you want a little bit of that adrenaline of like, yeah, like I let a game winning drive. Well then on all pro, I go up to all pro and I'm admittedly like, it makes me appreciate how actual quarterbacks play quarterback because you're like, yeah, this is this is pretty damn hard to make all these reads that quickly and also the you know actually getting hit part. But man, they'll like make interceptions on there. Where you're like, the dude's not even looking at the ball. No, like yeah, I didn't throw it to an open guy, but they would have just like gotten broken up or something like that. They just make everything is the most ridiculous interception. And you're like, this is not even realistic. Exactly. It's when things start to defy the laws of physics, where it's like there has to be somewhere where you can make the game more difficult, but you're not having a ball pass through somebody so that the computer catches it and goes for a touchdown or something. Yeah, or like, like a run stopping outside linebacker is is jumping over Travis Kelsey to make a make a one handed Odell Beckham interception, and you're like, stop. You're you're right about that. The level in Madden because I did play a little bit of Madden a year ago. I've really not played, even though my son has new the has the new Madden game. I wanted to play with Bijan. I just just too infatuated with the soccer game, I guess. Where you get to a level and it's like it like depth doesn't matter if a if a computer guy drops back on you, it has to be the most pinpoint perfect pass to even have a chance. Because as you said you know, slow footed linebackers look like freaking Sean Taylor back there with how they're breaking things up. <laughs> oh man oh, okay jake i said fifa it's it's fc whatever the hell it is now it's not fifa anymore it's fc fc soccer fc football i don't remember what it is we have the latest version of the game did they like lose a license or something they separated from fifa i think fifa was asking for too much money so they're like we can get all the player fees and all the team fees we just don't want to be connected with this corrupt organization anymore but it's funny though because i guess yeah, FIFA uh, holds the World Cup. You can't just play like straight. Uh, you just you can't just set up a World Cup. I guess is the uh, the way that I want to put that. You have to do a custom tournament, and then you can like tinker things to make it a, a World Cup, essentially, where you have group stage and knockout stage. But you can't just say, "I want to play a World Cup with the U.S." Let's say you have to set up a custom tournament to do so because FIFA and EA can't get in line with regards to whatever the fee is supposed to be for EA to call itself a FIFA game or to technically use the world cup within their gameplay. You know, what game was speaking of FIFA was so awesome was, and I don't know if they still do this, the specific world cup game to where you could only 
you could, I mean, obviously it didn't serve its purpose for much longer than just the world cup, but you had like, basically the whole thing was like going through a world cup and the qualifying and, and all that, but you could only play as, as the countries. Um, but I mean, they had like the real players and all that. I remember growing up, we were huge into that. Cause you would, cause you could actually do like a whole, like we mapped it out. I can't remember exactly how, but like where we would sit at somebody's house all day and just yeah. play an entire world cup. What system was that on? Cause I feel like I played that one too. I think it was like PS3 and Xbox is what, is what we played it on. I'm pretty sure. Okay. I may have played it on like super Nintendo maybe. And it, uh, no, actually it was the original PS, I think, or maybe it was in Nintendo 64. I, I don't remember, but I just remember that Qatar was the worst team on the game, <laughs> but I used to always play with Qatar because I don't think they had the levels that they do now. And so it's like, you played on one level and if you were the best team in that game, France or Italy, whoever it was, England, Brazil, maybe like you just kick the shit out of everyone. So I would play with Qatar because they were like the one, one star team on the game. And have still have moderate success, I guess. We would we would try to make some of our buddies like that that actually like you know could identify with a country that's not the US based on their their culture, their background. We would try to force them to play with that country. And like so like my Korean buddies were like, no, no, dude, like I'm not playing with South Korea. Sorry. <laughs> yes. We're like, and then like the one Italian, the one Italian guy was like. No, oh, I was waiting with bated breath and he froze. I was like, wow, this is a really pregnant pause. I'm curious to hear what the one Italian friend was going to say. And now Jeff is frozen. Oh my goodness. I don't know what's going on in my back. And now he's back. Yes, folks. What did your one Italian friend say? Yeah. He was like, yeah, that, that's fine. I think I'll play with Italy. That works. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh, your French friend wants to play with France? Yeah, no shit. Or somebody trying to claim they're like one-eighth Spanish or something, and, and you're yeah. like, yeah, that, that that doesn't count. Sorry, Chief. I swear I have an aunt from Argentina. I swear. <laughs> so uh, let's let's not bury the lead any longer. You got married last Thursday. We talked a little bit about the, the lead-up to the wedding last Monday, but you are officially a married man now. So first off, congratulations, and how was it, man? Ah, shit, he froze again. God damn it. <laughs> oh, boy. This is going to be a fun hour and 40 minutes going forward. As Jeff and I get mid-conversation, then he freezes up. And just look at that beautiful face. I can't compete with that. Put my kids in the backgrounds. Put all sorts of other distractions in the background to take your eyes off of a really good looking dude and Jeff Barker, who's also very smart and funny as well. And now we just get uh, this, this parsed look on his face as I start to filibust once again. And I'm sure BK will pop on here in the next couple of minutes as Jeff has now dropped out altogether. Now uh, I just saw somebody suggest that the karate kid with the bonsai trees was Karate Kid 3, I don't believe that's the truth. Karate Kid 2 is when we went back to Japan. That was the Bonsai Tree Karate Kid, if I'm remembering correctly. That's right, Michael C. Part 2 is when they went back to Japan. That's right, that's the Bonsai Tree Karate Kid. I'm almost certain of that. Jack says Karate 2 was watchable, 3 was not. I agree with that as well. CB, congrats to Jeff. We'll maybe give him that congrats when he's back on the air. Jack says, sat in a hot tub with an old Motorola cell phone circa 2000. 
Dried it out for two days and it started working again. Yeah, that's right. I remember there being a trick back during that time. This wasn't a Motorola phone. It was the old Nokia brick phone, though. Where if you got that thing wet, you just put it in a like a bag of rice. And the rice soaks up the moisture. And then that phone starts working again. After I replaced my Nokia brick phone. And BK, you're probably too young to remember the Nokia brick phone. Maybe not, though. I feel like that went out into the mid-aughts before we started seeing advancements in cell phones. When I finally replaced that cell phone, I got a slider. I took that old Nokia brick phone that I probably had had for five years, and I tried to destroy it. It had no resale value. So I'm like, I'm going to see the effort that it takes to truly break this thing up. And I must have spent 15 minutes throws off of walls, throws off of the ground, baseball bats before it finally really came apart in a way that it was you weren't able to put it back together. And that just speaks to things uh, being built slightly better 15, 20 years ago, you know? Yeah, the build quality of stuff back in the day was significantly higher than what we have now. I mean, I never had a Nokia brick phone, but I remember like some of my friends' parents having those. The first cell phone I had was just a, an old school flip phone. Um, and phone you too. You could not break that thing, dude. Like when I upgraded and got a new phone, I vividly remember going to my middle school football field and just like chunking that thing as far as I could and nothing would happen to it. I would throw it against the goalposts and nothing would happen to it. I mean, I I couldn't try to break that thing. I could have ripped it in half, obviously, if I really wanted to. But just like any sort of drop or throw or shit that would absolutely destroy your phone in 2023 could not do anything to the phones back in like 2008. It was an era where you did not need a cell phone protector to have a cell phone. You just had your cell phone. That was it. Great point. You yeah. Accessorize your cell phone, not just the case around the phone itself. You actually need a screen protector too for this yep. thing to continue to work. I've actually been rolling case and screen free Jesus, for dude. a couple months now. I don't know how this phone has not completely broken up into pieces just yet, but it hasn't. I it's it's maintained somehow. For I've had months? a couple of uh, had a couple of foot saves that would make uh Dominic Hoshik blush to uh to keep the phone relevant, but <laughs> I've, I don't have had to to keep this phone from shattering into a million pieces. Did you say for months? Yeah, 2 months now. Dude, you're raw dog in a prostitute every night hoping that you don't get an std or get her pregnant and somehow some way you're still clean and so is she that is dude i i will not when i get new phones and i'm not one of those i gotta get the new iphone every single year like i think i'm rocking the iphone 11 right now and i feel like they're on 15 so if that tells you anything i i try to use this thing until it breaks or until the battery life gets so bad because that's what Apple does to where I just can't use it anymore. Um, but I do not leave the Verizon store or the Apple store without a case on the phone. Like I, I can't even, I don't yeah. even, I don't even know what my phone feels like without a case on it. I, I don't remember because I never have the phone without the case because I am so worried. I mean, my life is in that thing and I'm so worried that, it will uh it will break and i drop my phone i'm not like a huge klutz with it but I, i'll drop my phone from time to time to the point where i know if i didn't have a case on there i'd be screwed 
I I cannot live without a phone case. That's just as important as the phone to me. You should try it sometime. Living on the edge. No, I do that enough in other aspects of life. <laughs> I was about to say, you are too much of a risk, uh, unnecessary risk taker in several aspects of life. Uh, maybe moving closer to that, to the literal version of the analogy you gave about raw dogging the prostitute to live that lifestyle with your phone, I guess. Why do you think my voice sounds the way that it does? Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So did you notice that I was wearing, I got to ask you something here. Did you notice that the first time I popped on, I was wearing a different shirt than the one that I'm wearing now? Not, no, I was so locked in on just filibusting that I am just now starting to see that you're wearing a Longhorn shirt. So I was wearing this shirt during our show today. Okay. And I wore this during Bucky and BK this morning, but I was wearing like a, a little white sweater for the one minute that I was on with you the first time Jeff's internet went awry. Yeah. And I'm, I'm at a crossroads here. So I bought some clothes online. I'm not a big shopper, but like once a year, maybe twice a year, like one for the cold season and one for the hot season, I'll buy some clothes, refresh the wardrobe a little bit. Um, still single dude, trying to find girls, trying to look good. You know the deal. So I, like, I bought a bunch of clothes online and like half of them don't fit me. Mm. So I've got to, you know, do the whole return process. Yeah. And it's through USPS. And I went to the post office. There's one half mile away from where I live. And the line was effing ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You're fucked this week. So, like, I mean, it would have taken an hour and a half. So I literally walked in. I took a look at the line and I turned around and, and went home. So I'm like, I'm wondering now. I went and tried the clothes on again, even though they're clearly too big. I'm like, is there a way? that I can put these clothes through the dryer on super high heat because that shrinks the clothes, but keep the tag on and not have the tag get messed up. No. Yeah, see, I, I figured. Like, I know if I put it in the wash, there's no chance because that, that's destroyed. But, like, could I put this with the tag on in the dryer to see if I can shrink the clothes enough to where I don't have to go to the effing post office? That's all it is. I just don't want to go to the post office again. Uh, is there a way to make that happen? And uh, I literally Googled that and I didn't see a single answer. Like, I can't believe no one else has had this thought. Well, I can't. It's a stupid fucking thought. But I'm trying to figure out if there's a way I can avoid the post office, but also keep the clothes and not let them completely go to waste, you know? So Googling it is a good idea. It's also a good idea to search it on YouTube because sometimes there's things that you will find answers for on YouTube that for whatever reason, even though Google and YouTube are the same company, it does not show up on Google. So try YouTubing it also. My guess though is that your SOL, your best bet is going to be don't mess with the clothes at all. Don't try and wash or dry them. Just wait until next week when lines theoretically will wean significantly yeah because we're past christmas at that point you don't have deadbeat last minute folks trying to ship a package or presents from one place to another that that should calm down significantly by a week from i think the post office is closed next monday obviously i think it's open back up on the 26th 27th or 28th you should be clear especially if you're going like right when you and bucky are done yeah 
I got to check the return policy and see if I have enough time to do that. Uh, I'm just, I'm not waiting that long, dude. That's, that's ridiculous. If you get the return process started online, that actually counts as being in under the clock or whatever the Mm. last possible date to return something is. If you've filed for that return by then, you usually have a little bit more leeway to get it in the mail. I guess hypothetically, if I printed a return label at home, I could just drop it in one of the bins there, right? And not have to deal with the person. Yeah. Well, and you can, if you have to weigh it out, there are take care of it yourself stations, I guess is the easiest way to put that at least at the post office I go to. Yeah. Surprised that they didn't have more. You were also, but yeah, I think that should all be accounted for whenever you get the return label. Okay. Yeah. I might have to try that. I don't know. I wonder if it's too late. And also the uh, mail, I got new mailboxes in my apartment complex and my key doesn't work. So I have to get a new key. What? And they said my mail is all also at the post office. Oh my gosh. That That sucks. Cause that's like our advertisers pay us that way. And like, I I have to, I I need my mail. So now I'm going to have to wait like two hours to go get my mail this week. It, Abolish the post office. I'm cancel culturing the post office. That that place that place sucks. There are people who have been calling that for years now. It was wow. one of Ron Paul's points of contention back in 2008. And I got to say, there is a strong argument to be made that the post office will be better off without the post office because it is taxpayer dollars, and there are private companies who do a much better job of these things. Newman's a Loser also. Hate that guy. He is a postal employee. All right. There was a power outage. There was a rectum power outage in Jeff's area, BK. <laughs> uh, my rectum's fine, but thanks for asking. <laughs> We're going to check it. We're going to try it one more time, but I appreciate you being on standby just in case. This is uh, cutting into my workout, which I'm not really upset with. <laughs> what were you so doing? What was the bedroom workout that you were doing just now? No, I was about to go to the gym. And then uh, the first time I heard it, I'm like, All right, maybe I should stick around. And then I heard <laughs> Jeff cut out again. And I'm like, well, I should probably definitely stick around at this point. So we'll try it. I'll give you all 10, 15 minutes. Jeff, if you're still rolling, then I'll boogie. But if not, I'll be on standby to make sure we get through this thing. Sounds good. Yeah, we 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 appreciate you, BK. I thought it was just a random thing at first, and then texted my neighbor who works from home, and he was like, "Yeah, it's been out for twenty minutes." So yeah. I think it sounds like even the fact that I got on was was a minor miracle in itself. But hoping that this is the last time and that it's back. I've I've told everybody in the house, everybody off your devices, get on the <laughs> get on the data, turn your Wi Fi off on your phones. Like we got to get to. Oh, <laughs> a tragedy. The timing has been so good each time he is frozen. The first time it was his Italian friend who was going to say something about the FIFA soccer game. And he just, it was like the most pregnant pause until I realized it's frozen. And it got him again, right when he was about to tell us what the uh, hangers on who are still at their place from the Thursday wedding and everybody hanging out and partying through the weekend. <laughs> God. See a workout. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not too upset by that, by the way. 
How about yeah. even more good news for Texas Longhorn football today, BK? Get this man a hot spot here. Um, with oh, Phil Same. Yes, that happened while Chip they and Zay were on. That's right. Yeah, incredible. Incredible. I mean, what a day it's been for Texas. What a weekend. And usually yeah. you hate the Monday after a good weekend, but this Monday after a good weekend has been sensational for the University of Texas. And that's two big time gets. I mean, I wish both of these guys could play against Washington two weeks from now. But uh, you know that uh, in the future, Texas is in a damn good spot at the safety position because they're going to get just about everybody back. Not named Jalen Catalan. And they're bringing in Phil Same, who's a five star. They're bringing in Makuba. It's a former high four star who obviously has three years of college experience under his belt. And then Kobe Black, who could be a safety as well. Another high four star. Like this is this is what good staffs do. They realize where they are weak and they attack and they address. And that's what Steve Sarkeesian and this coaching staff have done. Like they realized that their secondary was not good enough here in 2023. Now they're playing in the college football playoffs. So clearly it was good enough to get here, but they realized that, okay, we can get better in this spot. And uh, yeah, they've addressed it to this point. So an awesome, awesome day for Texas, a serious position of need. They've gotten not only just players, but really, really good players, one out of high school and one out of the transfer portal who could come in here and make some stuff happen. So tip of the cap to Sark and Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon. Uh, those guys have not been Longhorn fan favorites because of the uh, inconsistent secondary play this year, but those guys uh, deserve a lot of credit for finding a way to get both Makuba and Phil Samay to, to commit to Texas. And this is especially impressive because you hear that teams that are in the playoff are at a disadvantage, especially as it pertains to the transfer portal. But Texas has addressed arguably the two biggest positions of need on this football team for next year in the transfer portal so far and going and getting a safety and a guy who can play a little bit of nickel corner for you in a pinch if need be. And also going out and getting a guy who can not only be your number one wide out next year, but also fields fills a void left by Xavier worthy as a kick returner as well. And Matthew golden mm -hmm. from Houston who longhorn fans got an up close look at and just how good he was along with man Jack in that Houston game that saw the Cougars almost come back and win that one. So this coaching staff just deserves a ton of credit for what they've been able to do on the field this year, developing guys who have been a part of the roster for a handful of years now, but also really being savvy with this transfer portal of the last couple of off seasons now. And I think uh, finding successes in ways that not a whole lot of other programs have and bringing guys in uh, guys who might only not provide depth at times, the Trill Carters of the world, let's say, but also finding guys who are not just bona fide starters, but future stars on this football team like A.D. Mitchell this year. Yeah, it's kind of amazing how well Texas has done in the portal despite the lack of on-field success, right? Like, uh, Texas went 8-5 and five last year, and they got a receiver from the two-time defending national champs in the transfer portal. Like, that's that's weird. Yeah, you wouldn't see most eight and five teams be able to get a guy like that. And yeah, all the players that Texas has brought in in the portal in recent years have uh, have helped this team in some form or fashion. And it's just you always assumed that okay, if this team is able to be competing for championships again, then that talent is going to increase, and Texas is going to have more options in the portal. And that's what's going on this year. I mean, Golden, a top five receiver in the portal, Makuba, a top five safety in the portal. Uh, Phil Samay, obviously a five-star player, one of the top 30 or 40 pieces. I don't know exactly what his 
composite recruiting ranking is, but to be a five-star, you've got to be in that top 30, 35-ish range in the nation. So, yeah, these are big-time players, and it's just, yeah, it's not all talk anymore. It's not like, oh, you can be a part of the turnaround. It's like, no, the turnaround's already happened, and now you can win here at Texas. And, and we need Texas to be cool again. Jeff and I were talking about this last week. Like, when I was growing up, Texas was so cool. Winning 10 games every year, competing for conference championships, winning national championships, playing in other national championships. Like, it was cool to be a Texas fan. And over the last, I don't know, 12 years, it hasn't been cool to be a Texas fan. When you think of how old these high school kids are, well, they're 17, 18, which means they were like five or six the last time Texas was good. I don't remember shit from when I was five or six. <laughs> like, these, these guys have basically gone their whole lives thinking, well, yeah, I heard about Texas. Like, I, I know they've got some history, and I know they've won a lot of games, and they used to be really good, but why would I want to go there? Because that's all in the past. No, now that it's in the present again, it's like, ah, oh, shit. And Texas has the city of Austin and the great education and the NIL and the other resources. Plus, I can actually win championships. Plus, they're going to the SEC. Like, it's just all of these things combining to uh, make what, you know, I, I, I hope I'm not putting the cart before the horse here, but this, this feels like uh, – a downhill train that is going to be really, really tough to stop. Wow. To hear you speak with optimism about any team that you love is the fuck is going on here. I'm starting, I'm starting to reconsider now. I, I feel like I almost need to hedge. Yeah. Texas is going eight and four next year. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Thank you. Whew. Feel much better about that now. My goodness. I was starting to get worried. <laughs> it's some sort of strange BK jinx being put on things since you are the, uh, the biggest non-believer <laughs> in your team. And you have plenty of good reason to be based on what you just talked about where the last time Texas football was truly uh, relevant other than the 2009 season, of course, pushing for that national championship was when you were really young and Unfortunately for Texas, this has been a cool school to come to for a lot of reasons that had very little to do with football. Now, there were always hopes that the football team would be good, but you were coming to Texas for the school itself or maybe a particular program, the city of Austin. Uh, perhaps there was a, a high school girlfriend who was helping to bring you to Austin too. But in terms of being a part of a football program that is going to compete for conference championships year in and year out and to have a coaching staff that's going to help you develop to get to that next level if you want. And oh, by the way, there are a lot of really good financial opportunities to come play football at Texas right now as well, thanks to NIL. Uh, yeah, the, the tide, it does seem like it's starting to turn now and things that might be a concern for this roster just based on who's leaving and what looked like it was coming in just a couple of weeks ago. Even that's starting to turn now. Like I'm somebody who's like preaching patience and maybe a little bit more reality. Whereas a lot of people are like, we're competing for sec title next year. I'm starting to feel a little bit better about that prospect now too. If guys like Quinn Ewers return, of course. And then if you're able to fill certain holes that probably will exist once the season is over with dudes announcing for the NFL draft and replacing with the guy with them, with guys like Matthew golden, who seem very capable uh, to step in and, and really uh, not leave a whole lot of uh, distance between what happened this year and what happened in years to come. Yeah. I mean, how can you not feel like Texas is going to compete in year one in the SEC? And if you asked me that question at this time last year, I'd say, I don't know if we're going to be good. Like uh, we're going eight and four and seven and five and six and six year after year in the big 12. Like, I don't feel great about us making the lead to the SEC, but no, nah, I mean, this team went 12 and one, they obviously won that game at Alabama. Like, that's the thing that gives me more hope than anything, right? 
Like if Texas went 12 and one, won the big 12, but the one loss was to Alabama instead of to Oklahoma, then I'd still be like, all right, like we, we've got to wait and see. We'll see what happens in this playoff, right? We'll see what happens in this playoff. Cause I think Texas would still be in if they had that resume, but like, we'll see how they do against the best teams in other conferences. Um, now it's like, nah, like, could it be Bama last year? Your quarterback got hurt before the first quarter was over, but it looked like you had their number and you still barely lost to them last year. And then boom, this year you go on the road and beat them by double digits. You did something that no SEC team has ever done to a Nick Saban Alabama team. So like that right there, of course, coupled with all the other stuff, the fact that this team is in the CFP, it's like, even if you are a pessimist, like, I don't know if I'd pick Texas to win the big or to win the SEC next year. But, like, just I, I'm going to sit here and think that they're going to finish in the top, I don't know, three, four teams in the conference right now. Like, they're clearly Alabama's level. They're in the playoff, and Georgia isn't better than LSU right now. Those those have been the top three teams in the SEC. So, we'll see. Texas will lose a lot. Quinn Ewers leaves. Maybe I won't feel as confident about that just because I don't know what Arch Manning is. But, no, I mean, it's it's like you have to feel a hell of a lot better about Texas's chances in the SEC right now that he did at this time last year because of what they've been able to do and obviously what uh, what is happening with the world of recruiting, too. Yeah, Jaden Daniels, not a part of LSU. He's a big reason why they achieved what they were able to achieve this year because they were bad defensively. And so to have to replace your Heisman-winning quarterback next year for a guy who's had a hard time winning big games with Brian Kelly, with LSU now, and obviously with Notre Dame prior to that, yeah, it's – does seem like there is a lot of cause for optimism for Texas football going forward. Yeah, what a bizarre place we are right now. Yeah. I think things timed out nicely, too. Even though you and I were both preaching Texas and Oklahoma making it to the SEC as soon as humanly possible because things would only get uglier with the Big 12, I do like starting to hit our stride our last year in the Big 12 so we could win that final conference crown get to the college football playoff and just build momentum that much more heading into year one of the sec. Yeah. Go back in the DeLorean a few months ago. Right. I mean, we were talking about just how big of a year this was for yeah. Steve Sarkeesian in Texas. And um, a lot of it has to do with just that, like trying to prove to everybody, like most importantly, the guys in the locker room, right. The coaches and the players that, Hey, we can take this leap to the sec and we're going to be perfectly fine. But also to send a message to your fan base, like, Hey, because I, I don't know how many times you've been asked this, Trey, but oh my God, over the last like three years, since whenever the initial announcement came down that Texas and Oklahoma were building to the SEC, I mean, I got asked thousands of times how I felt about Texas's chances in the SEC. And my answer for years was, well, in every other sport, we're perfectly fine. I'm just not sure about football. Like volleyball, dominate that shit. Baseball, I know SEC is great in baseball. We're awesome at baseball. We're the most historic program out there. Softball will be fine. Basketball, the SEC is weaker than the Big 12, and we've been good in the Big 12. We'll be okay there. Women's basketball, we'll be okay. Like every other sport, yeah, sure, great, bring it home. But football, my answer is always like, ah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know about football yet, but now I, now I feel like I kind of know about football, and that's so great, and that's why this year was so big, just to like not feel like, oh, shit, we're, we're screwed. Like really, we, we're going to the Alamo Bowl again. We went 8-4 and four in the Big 12 again, and now we're going to – play Alabama and Georgia and LSU and Florida and all of these other schools. Like, Oh God, you know, we, we might be six and six. We might be Mississippi state in the sec. And now just to have this year, I know it's one year, but once again, you couple it with everything that's happening right now in the world of recruiting and the transfer portal. It's like, nah, we're ready. We are absolutely 
ready for this move. And well, we've got a, another chance, hopefully another two chances to prove that over the next two and three weeks. Yeah, instead, we are road tripping into New Orleans, baby. I've got some bad news on that front, by the way. Wow. We had a stipulation put on when we need to get back to Austin on the second because the original plan was Justine to go with me. But my mom has to get to Dallas the evening of the second. And so it's just entirely too expensive to fly to New Orleans. And we don't want to be in a time crunch driving back from New Orleans on the second with how bad traffic's probably going to be on I-10. So Justine's not going anymore. So it's just going to be a boys trip. It's going to be me, you, Bucky, maybe Kevin in the car going there and back. Good news is I'm one other person who can get behind the wheel and give you a reprieve versus having to drive all seven to eight hours. Shit. If you're going, you're driving. Those are the rules. My my preference is to be driver. So I'm totally happy with that role, but I, I could also understand if you, if you wanted to drive part of the time too, but if you want me to drive the whole way, that's what I was built for, baby. Oh, you're built different, huh? And yeah. You're you're built to drive the whole way. I'm built to do the Wade Boggs challenge and drink as many beers as I possibly can. You know, so here's my only rule with that. We're only stopping two times at most. One halfway through to get gas. And a second bathroom break. Once you break that seal, you better get a 64-ounce Gatorade bottle, dude. Or a couple of them. Because <laughs> that's be how you're uh, relieving yourself. There's got to be a third stop. Right What's when we that? cross the border to go gamble because they've got casinos over there. We need a third stop. There's casinos in New Orleans. We just need to get there once we get on the road. Oh, man. Because the longer it takes us to get there, the more traffic there's going to be by the time we get to Baton Rouge. We may need to stop and go to the original Lane's Chicken Fingers in Baton Rouge, though, for a meal. I can do that. Which is what Canes has become. Or I guess uh, Canes is what the original was called. Lane's is what they called it in College Station. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, I told you what I did the last time Texas played in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, right? Well, you and I broadcast from there, but what did you do? I don't recall. I took the RV out there with a bunch of buddies. Oh, that's right. How was that? We actually did the Wade Boggs Challenge. Tried to see how many beers we could drink. How ugly was that by the time you guys got to New Orleans? That does not seem fun. I got screwed. I got shafted. I was Patrick Mahomes, sore loser. I was Nebraska volleyball coach, sore loser level. After the way that shit went down, dude. What happened? So if you don't know what we're talking about, there's an old urban legend that Wade Boggs, yes, that Wade Boggs, once drank 100 beers on a cross-country flight when he was playing Major League Baseball. And my favorite comedy of all time, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, did a spoof of that where they took a cross-country flight and they tried to see if they could down 100 beers. And they all had white T-shirts and they had Sharpies where they would just do a tally of how many beers that they drank. So we're like, ah, oh, this is what 2019. Now nah, I, I was too far out of college for this to be reasonable, but whatever, a couple of years out of college. And one of my best friends company I used to work for had an RV like that. You could just rent. It's a company RV. So as soon as Texas got announced that uh, Texas was going to be in the sugar bowl, as soon as it was announced that Texas was going to be in the sugar bowl, we're like, Oh yeah. So we booked that. And yeah, we RV'd it to New Orleans. Anyways, so I 
leaving Dallas. This is out of Dallas. Um, got off to a great start. I mean, we're two hours in, and I am like 28 beers deep. I am rolling, dude. I mean, incredible. Wait, how many hours in? Two hours in. 28? Dude, I, I'm a machine at this no, point. No fucking way, 28. Yeah, insane. I'm telling you, it's on the shirt. I don't have the shirt anymore. <laughs> Cruising, dude. Cruising. And right when we get across the border, so maybe it's two and a half, right when we get across the border to Louisiana, um, the guys are like, all right, we're stopping to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, cool. Y'all do that. I need a minute. I'm going to sit here for a second. And they're like, all right, yeah, we'll be back in like five minutes. I'm like, great. It's probably 10 of us. So I'm the only guy who stays back because I'm way uh, – the tortoise and the hare did not apply to me that day, okay? I'm, I'm sitting back on the RV. I'm like, all right, y'all go in there, whatever. <laughs> Instead of just going in, using the bathroom, maybe getting a snack or two and coming out, those jabronis spent an hour and a half at the casino. They had like five <laughs> machines in there. I'm on the RV, and of course I'm by myself, so I pass out. <laughs> and by the time they all get back, I am hung over as all get out, dude. I've got it just a pounding head. They wake me up, they're like, we're back. And I like, I'm like, what? Like, what? Delirious. What happened? Where, where am I? Like, what are we doing? And then, yeah, they told me they were in there for like an hour and a half. And then that just, that slowed the pace down so much. I took some Advil. I pulled the trigger, but I just, I didn't have it, man. I didn't have it. So pulling the trigger. That's where you like force yourself to throw up. Oh goodness. Yeah. Now how many yeah. beers did you really have in two hours? Cause 28 is impossible. It might've been more than two hours. I don't know. Three hours. Like whenever we got to Louisiana. So it could have been longer than that. Three, like three and a half. You're having seven beers an hour. Yeah. How in the world are you still alive, dude? 28. Are you drinking O'Doul's for half of those? It felt it felt like more than seven an hour. I think it was more than seven an hour, but God. Uh, no, it was all like Keystone. And it was, you know, the, the cheapest of the cheap. I wouldn't I wouldn't waste the greatness of Altstad beer on that. No chance. Um, but yeah, so after that I just hit a wall. I think I ended up mid to upper 30s. Like I, I was still able to rally and get some in, but I didn't win. I think one of my buddies got like 38 or 39, and that was that was the winner on the God. RV trip. Yeah. That is yeah, crazy. Yeah. So when yeah, Paul, so we, did, we did the um, the 30-30 club, and then also, uh, what was it called? The 60-minute club or something? What, power Hour or Edward 40 Hands? Power or? Hour, that's what it was. We did the Power Hour and then the 30-30 Club. Power Hour is the original. 30-30 Club I came up with myself, which is a th shot of beer every 30 seconds for 30 minutes. Huh. And turned out to be surprisingly much more difficult than Power Hour, which was a shot of beer every minute for an hour. Yeah. So it's the same amount, and it's like, oh, I'll just be done with this in half the time. And I'll be a little bit more inebriated because you drank double. No, it, it is much more difficult to make it through the 30-30 club. I've never heard of that one, but I like that. Yeah, those those minutes in the power hour just get faster and faster. Like at the beginning, it's like, nice, this is easy. Yeah. And then it feels like every five seconds, they're like, drink. It's like, I just I just did. What do you mean? It had, there's no way it's been a minute yet. And then, <laughs> nope, it's it's been a minute.
They've got like YouTube videos now. This is, you know, obviously the beauty of technology where it's like, it's like they play a minute of a music video and then when it's time to drink, they change the song and they change the video. Like they make it easy oh, for you now. That yeah, is like nice. 60 minute long uh, YouTube video that basically does the power hour for you. Yeah, because unless you have a designated timer, inevitably you're going to lose track of time because who the fuck wants to be the designated timer? Everybody needs to be in on this. Yeah. In that case, everybody 45 minutes in is going to be completely shit-faced. It's worse than being the designated driver. 100 shots of beer in 100 minutes from Letterkenny. That's the Canadian version of the Power Hour. Letterkenny is a great show. Have you watched Letterkenny yet? No, and you've told me to for a while, but I haven't it's gotten Canadian always funny, dude. It is well worth it, especially like the first five or six seasons. They're about to have their last season. Uh comes out December 26th on Hulu. And the show slowed up a little bit the last few years, but the first four or five seasons I would I would put up against any sitcom. Wow, it's that good, huh? It I is like hilarious. That. And it's got Canadian pronunciations of things, which is really going to appeal to you. Yeah, I like Trailer Park Boys a lot. You ever watch that one? I've been told that those two shows are similar, but I have not watched Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, Trailer Park Boys is absurd. And it's, it's filmed in Canada and set there and... It's insane. You know, Sam Pika turned me on to Trailer Park Boys. Remember that guy? Oh, my gosh. I wonder what he's up to these days. Uh, I text him. I like that guy. I was at his place, like, smoking dope one time. Boy, I'm too young to say smoking dope. Yeah. Um, it was like post-nom in the 1970s? <laughs> I don't know. And he's just like, dude, have you seen this show before? I'm like, no. And we just started watching it. And then I went home and, like, binge-watched. And for me, to binge-watch anything is a – more of a miracle than the story of Hanukkah. Uh, but I binge watched like trailer park boys, like just all of it. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, you hilarious. That was Seinfeld too. I remember a few years ago, Kevin and I finally convinced you to watch Seinfeld. And once you did, you're like, I don't know why I waited this long to watch this show. It took a, a once in a century pandemic for me to watch it, but I'm glad that was the best part of COVID was me finally sacking up and watching Seinfeld. Cause I was, there was nothing else to do. It was an easy watch. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's one of my yeah. favorite shows ever. But like that, that obviously sparked the uh, the desire and gave me the time to to finish all whatever 11, 10, 12 seasons. Have you gotten into Curb Your Enthusiasm yet? I've seen I've seen a lot. Uh, I really like it. I feel like I just made it sound like I don't like it, but I've just seen random episodes. I've not watched it. I know the last season's about to start or they just announced the last season coming up last season is february i may see about jeff schaefer joining us on the midday show who is larry's writing partner he's the executive producer of that show he directs a, a number of episodes he's the guy responsible for the league back in the day and an all-around hilarious dude so we may see about talking to him at some point and it looks like we have jeff back for at least a few minutes what face will Jeff be frozen on the next time his internet craps out? <laughs> how, how bad were the first 10? <laughs> last time, last time was the uh, the most awkward for you because you're you're a good looking dude. And so most for the most part, it looks like you're just like posing for the camera. This last one was more like but probably me looking looking down, about to smash this supposed wi-fi connector in here or something yeah we were just talking about committing violence on our uh, video game machines and you're about to have to do that on the uh on the wi-fi router now yeah i was i was getting i was getting pretty close to it 
So at least made me feel a little bit better that all the neighbors apparently are losing their shit about it too. Yeah. Did you try? Did you reset? Did you reset anything? Are you on the hot spot? Or are you just? Are we hoping? So, hoping and praying. I did, and I look. I made. I, I maybe a little too arrogant with the joke I made to Trey about the uh, unplug and then plug back in. That's all I've really been able to do. It said just this next time I just left it unplugged for longer. So I don't. I don't know. But hopefully, hopefully whatever was going on outage wise works or is is over now. This is an easy answer, CB. It's KD by far. It's not even close. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time Jeff has ever had technical issues. Uh, the first show that Kevin does from start to finish without a technical issue will be the very first time that, that happens. <laughs> oh, come on. Drink every time Barker pops in. That's not <laughs> fair. BKN are going to be shit-faced by the end of this uh, hour and three minutes. CB. Oh, man. Yeah, you, yeah. you're going to be drunk well before dinner time if you keep doing that, apparently. Has Hanukkah Harry showed up yet, BK? Yeah, he came and went. I'm out of loose change. Stole all that shit. <laughs> what? I thought Hanukkah Harry, Hanukkah Harry steals money from you? I thought he left presents. Nah, he's like, uh, yeah, I mean, our Santa Claus, sometimes he leaves presents, but he also, you know, grabs your loose change. Like Santa takes the milk and the cookies. That's his bit. Hanukkah Harry just goes around in between your couch cushions and takes all the coins that you have. Trey, what? Why do I feel like we can't make that joke? I yeah, I'm definitely not going to ask. <laughs> he also does your taxes before he leaves your house because that would be insensitive. Does not do that, and you're not allowed to make that joke either. Unless, that's unless why you're I the take it. That's why I said I am not going to make that joke, and I'm also not going to ask if. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to stop right there. As a matter of fact, hey, we're looking for bodies. We got that dentist in Seinfeld. He gets to make the jokes. We're looking for bodies. If uh, you want to make Jewish jokes, all you got to do is convert. It's that simple. Oh, I'm all about doing what it takes to have access to a, to a line of material. So, yes, I would like to. Uh, can I apply to join your people, please? Yes, you can. Does it help that I am uh, part poor man's Jew? I'm more Armenian than anything else. We are also a spendthrift people. We dealt with our own genocide in the 1900s. Uh, we are uh, often find ourselves as the minority in a, a group that doesn't care for us very much because of our religious beliefs. Mm. I'll tell you what, if you can get Sark to convert, you're in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> next, next time, next time we're sharing dolmas, I will uh, see if he's interested. That's, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> All right. I'm around. We'll pray. Do some uh do some body weight squats and some uh some push-ups. There you go. Your workout today. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I this this situation here is is gonna force BK to just pull out like the old P90X DVDs or something. Yeah, boy, P90X. Look, most of the the home workouts they can be difficult. P90X was an ass kicking workout. My wife did it. When we were living together in Chi Town back in the day, drink up. And I did a couple of the workouts with her. I'm like, nope, I'll I'll go do my uh my own self-paced workout at the gym. Thank you very much. If you can get through that program, or honestly, if you can get through like a month of that program, so would that be a third of it? Like you will you will be in the best shape of your life. I mean, that is unbelievable stuff. That's that's about as about as sore as I've ever been. The I think I, I think I got a month in and, and then I was, I was done. That's impressive. Do you work yeah. out 
currently? Like, I'm guessing you were doing something leading up to the wedding to, to get yourself in good shape, right? <laughs> so oh, I actually, I actually really wasn't. I mean, I'm still thankfully at the point where, uh, you know, the metabolism is basically a, what they call a skinny fat metabolism. Yeah. Where like, even when I'm not really in good shape, I'm, I, I'm not the dude that's like the slender, like, you know, but it it's the, the metabolism's good enough. Knock on wood right now that I'll at least stay like respectable. Your fat's all visceral fat. So it's surrounding your organs and really unhealthy for you, but it doesn't look all that bad. Congratulations. <laughs> you're OC fat. Yeah. You're like pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So how was the wedding? We, you, uh, you dropped off one time, right? When you were about to start telling me about it, you were, you were mentioning that you told everybody that's still in your house to not use the Wi-Fi for the next hour. So I'm assuming there's still a few hangers on who were guests at the wedding on Thursday and then hanging out, having a good time through the weekend. But was it everything that y'all had hoped for? Oh man. Thankfully it was a lot smoother than the Wi-Fi connection today. And <laughs> honestly, like we couldn't have dreamed of it going better, which as, as much as everyone says, like, you know, like everyone kept telling me, like, just go with the flow. It is what it is. Like, yeah. you know, you got to like roll with the punches. We really, like every, everything was perfect. I mean, everybody, sure. you know, I, I'm trying to think of like what could like could have potentially gone wrong. Like all the ven all the vendors showed up, all did what they said they were going to do. Like food was good. Drinks were good. Uh, ceremony was fantastic. We had one of Jasmine's uncles was, was the officiant. So that was really special having him, you know, having family there to, to marry us and all that. I will say this though, the, the talk of the cocktail hour was how I messed up my part where so where you he said something like do you promise to you know like that part of it mm -hmm. and i i don't know what i was i was trey i was so nervous like i don't really get nervous in front of crowds and i wasn't nervous leading up to it i really wasn't and then as soon as i walked in and i saw all those people all sitting staring at me i was like oh my gosh like because even when we 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 said a little said a little word, uh, did a little speech, and you know we had like 150 people there, and I wasn't even really nervous for that. I'd also had like eight drinks by that point, but but still, <laughs> even like you know you would still feel like a little bit of butterflies. Yeah. And even then, I'm like I don't know because you feel like everyone people are eating, everyone kind of doing different things. They're all spread out across the room. It was like the chairs perfectly aligned, everyone staring at us, and I just looked at Jasmine's uncle and I was like, "There's a lot of people here," and he started laughing, but. But anyway, yeah, in that part, I said, I said, yes. And then I was like, oh shit, which I didn't say out loud, but in my head, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to say. I do. And everyone, everyone just started cracking up. Um, and then I was like, I do. So if there's video of it somewhere, I'll, I'll uh, show you, but you know what though, that stream of consciousness, it, it works in that situation though. Right. Yeah. And honestly, everyone just thought it was really funny. Like, it wasn't like I said, no, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, if you said no, that would have been a major fuck up. You, yeah. you just went stream of consciousness and realizing that uh, you needed to be saying something slightly different there. And it's going to turn into one of those moments that people are bringing up to you years from now. So it's, it's like life's imperfections are what make life so great. That's a, a modern saying, I guess. And that's a perfect example of that because, you know, things didn't go flawlessly necessarily right there, but it's also one of those cute moments that made the, made the whole situation that much more enjoyable for folks. And the, the other one that 
not as many people noticed that was also one of those stories. So I guess we, yeah, we have like basically two of those. My niece was the flower girl, Jasmine's mm-hmm. sister's uh, one-year-old. Mm-hmm. And she did amazing. She walked down, was smiling. Everyone was like, oh, this is the cutest thing in the world. Well, at some point when Jasmine, after Jasmine walked in and she was, I think it was like, right. Yeah. It was right where her dad was, you know, just present her to me and pass her off kind of thing. And her niece's daughter, uh, sorry, the niece's diaper fell off and was just like on the ground. So my, <laughs> my I mean, we quickly fixed it and I don't even think that many people noticed it, but like my grandma was at the perfect angle. And she told me afterwards, she was like, yeah, de- I, I definitely saw that. Um, and we were, I mean, we were all, we were all cracking up about it, but was, it was the one diaper, of the- was the diaper clean or soiled? Yes, clean diaper. Yes, okay. clean diaper. All right. No, it was That's not a- like a very, very fair question, a detail I left out there. Yeah, it was not a shit diaper that fell on the ground. Because that actually turns into a, uh, I mean, that's a story that you laugh at years from now, but that's also a story that you, uh, that you're recoiling a lot at in the moment. And years from now, as you're retelling that, it's like, yeah, you know, the, uh, the, the me stream of consciousness out loud and realizing I need to say what I do right here. That was funny. That was fucking disgusting yeah. and we laugh at it now because like it didn't get on anybody, but I, I do wish that hadn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thankfully it was it was nothing like that. Like honestly, I don't even think a lot of people noticed it. So you y'all did the unique thing of getting married on Thursday so you could hang out and have fun with everybody with the stress of the wedding behind you the rest of the weekend. Was there a biggest highlight? Obviously the reception was going to be a lot of fun on Thursday night. Was there a biggest highlight Friday, Saturday or even Sunday? I know you said you had some friends who were going to the comedy mothership this yeah. weekend and you end up with them or if not, did they have fun doing that? So we, they had a blast doing that and we ended up meeting them on dirty afterwards. Ooh. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, we had a great meeting. Yeah. Oh, we had a great, we had a great time and thankfully we were safe and didn't run into any issues or anything like that. But it's just unfortunate. What's, what's become of what's going to pop into your mind every time you go to dirty, you know, and you're there past midnight basically. Cause those guys think that a seven or eight o'clock show. So they yeah. weren't out of there till about 10 yep. and then some more Jasmine's family met us and some other people that were around. So we had a pretty big cr- crew that was out and about having a good time. So yeah, I mean, it was definitely crazy to wake up in the morning and be like, did that happen? Like however many blocks from the bar that we were at, like we were at Pete's piano bar and, um, you know, that was kind of a classic spot. They brought us up on stage and um, they played Jasmine put in for uh man eater that song. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but we thought that was a pretty, pretty funny one. It's kind of like it is an inside joke a little bit between us two. So All yeah, then they, well, they called us up onto that little stage and then I actually had to like dance for him. Like they wanted us to dance. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I, I have no moves whatsoever. So uh-huh. Yeah, that's why I twisted every song that I dance at to a wedding other than, well, I guess shout I'm twisting also. I'm just getting a little bit softer now when the song calls for it. No, that would not have been a good spot for me either. Now, what's the inside joke with Maneater? It was from a movie that we watched. Like, gosh, what was, I mean, now I'm like, well, some inside joke, right? Dude, you don't even remember the name of the movie, but we had just watched it and then she would joke about it um leading up to the wedding i'll i'll find i'll find the name but because it is it is a good movie um 
Did you but make yeah, any that, recommendations at Pete's? Because Pete's is the place to go if you are past college age or not a complete degen on Dirty Sixth Street. Like it, it insulates you a little bit because it's more, it's more of the uh, the bachelor party, bachelorette party, and I guess just married crowd in there. Yeah, it's no no hard feelings. Roy, my guy Roy's got me in there. Oh, is that the one where Jennifer Lawrence uh, shows some nudity? I think. I, it, it's the one where it's the Netflix yeah, she, that just came out, right? Yeah. They, um, yeah, they tell her, they hire her to like date her son or something yes. like that. Yep. And then obviously you can kind of guess what goes, you know, the, like how it ends, but super fun elements. Super, of it. Super it a good, good movie. movie. And okay. he gets on and he gets on the piano at one point while they're at a restaurant and he plays and sings Maneater. Uh, so then that's so that's kind of how the joke came about with that. So how sad is it that Hall and Oates have some sort of major disagreement right that now, and they're probably never going to play music together again because there's some sort of financial disagreement between the two of them. Yeah, I don't know the details on that. Was it just somebody got paid more money than the other, or what? I don't know what the exact details are either, other than them being at one another's throats and neither wanting to play with the other. It's like saying that peanut butter and jelly can't go together anymore. You know, yeah, all the classic hits that they have. Yeah. Uh, si- Silent eyes, man eater, Sarah smile. I'm starting to run out of songs here. They have plenty more than that though. Well, yeah. Pete's Pete's was a definitely a good call with the, uh, I hate saying like the older crowd, but yeah, the crowd that didn't want to be at a did that didn't want to be at blind pig all night, you know, just say that. Yeah. So no, but good, good time overall. I wouldn't say there was a particular, like one single highlight moment. We did go to a, a restaurant down. We, we didn't end up going to Dean's unfortunately. Okay. Cause there were certain, we did so much at the hotel, like just meeting people in the hotel bar, drinking, cool. having a good time that when we finally got our dinner, we went to dinner with one of my groomsmen. So smaller, you know, he jokingly was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to third wheel to dinner. And we were like, well, dude, that's, that's the whole reason we're out here is to, you know, hang out with you guys and all that. But we, we went to Kanji. Oh man. That's my favorite place to take out of towners right now. I was just talking dude. with Matthew Odom of the Statesman. He's the Statesman food critic about this. Yeah. I love Kanji. So, so good. What's your favorite there? Oh man, they've done a couple different versions of their uh, of a pork dish, and it's always money. The um, the tuna tartare is really good. That bread that they serve as part of the side dishes is incredible. Roti? The roti, yeah, is so really I good. I stuffed myself at the end with like a roti to myself. Yeah, and I was just like, yo, toss extra butter and extra salt on that thing. Yeah. And let me just like ruin my stomach right now. It, that'll do it because it is already very buttery and salty and delicious. The plantain chips, believe it or not, for anybody who hasn't been there before, just the plantain plantain chips, and they do um they do one sweet dipping sauce and one aioli type sauce is also delicious. Pretty much anything that I've gotten there. The one thing that I wasn't crazy about, but it's more a texture thing. That the flavors were fine is the uh, the callaloo, the braised callaloo. So Which we didn't side dishes. We got the um jerk the, chicken, the oxtail, like for the starter. The oh, the, the patty, yeah, those are really good, dude. 
those were those were probably the highlight. And then we had the uh, the Wagyu curry. I have not done that yet, so that's worth it. Yeah, honestly, the only thing I'll say is I would have expected a little more meat in there, maybe. You know, like that's a little more problem. of the Wagyu in there, but just the curry itself. And we had a little bit of rice. Like, even just that was good. And then we got the uh, the pork bites. Yeah. And then and then obviously we got the jerk chicken. I mean, that was kind of the, like, got, got to get that while you're there. And that was, that was perfect. Well, they almost overhyped the spice on the jerk chicken the first time I was there. They're like, be careful because this is definitely spicy. And I had it and it's spicy, but it's also jerk chicken too. So it's not like going to a, I don't know, a Thai restaurant ordering the hottest thing on the menu where you have to stop two bites in and walk around for 10 minutes so that your palate and your stomach calms down. Like it was a good level of spice. Like overall that place, there's a reason why it, has gotten the love that it has over the last two to three years now is one of Austin's best restaurants. It is that good. And it's also unique versus just about anything else you're going to get in this city too. A hundred percent. And that's why when we were asking the concierge and all that at the hotel, you know, telling them where we wanted to go and what we wanted to do. We we're like, we've already, cause we knew we were taking one of my buddies. So obviously I was like, I wanted him to get an Austin experience, but we'd already done um, style switches yeah. location and drip for the rehearsal dinner that nice. was awesome everyone loved the barbecue the ribs and brisket their turkey's amazing all that was great it's just, just called, it's, it's just called the switch also right yeah i think there's one in cedar park so there is a style switch in cedar park i was about to ask okay. you into the north lamar location are they all the same like style so, switch and style the style switch on north lamar and in cedar park are pretty much the same but i've never been to the switch before so the switch was, I mean, it definitely was different. Like the food was the same, tasted just as good, but it was definitely different than like the vibe of it was different than the one on the original on Burn It. Because it more it's more of like a restaurant. Like a true oh, restaurant. Like it's still you it's still you walk up and order and they bring it to you, but I would say it's more of like it had that like less uh like more of just like a, the feel in there was like a I don't want to say suburban restaurant, like mm. it felt very Texas and very barbecuey, but definitely just everything like newer and a little fancier than just like walking into the switch and being like, I'm just here to, you know, like grub out on some barbecue. And I think they have a couple extra things on the menu that they don't at style switch. Well, we we're lucky in Cedar Park because the North Lamar location only has the cheesy tater tot casserole on Wednesdays with their prime rib special. And Ian and the gang at the Cedar Park location made the decision to serve the cheesy tater tot casserole every night of the week or every day of the week that they're open. And I can't help myself when I go there. That's just a guilty pleasure that makes it more worth it to eat a little bit healthier just about every other meal for sides like that that I can just indulge in. Oh, yeah. And no, everybody, obviously, all the out of town folks were thrilled with that. And then, and then Chewy's, we, Chewy's did the, did the wedding. So that was, oh, cool. that was, that was another big hit. And then, uh, yeah. So when we were looking at kanji, I was like, I'm I either going to get a giant steak somewhere and just go to one of the, but I feel like I've been to every, I mean, I'm blessed enough to have been to like every steakhouse down there pretty much at some point, just when my yeah. parents visited or when we went out for special occasions. So any of that was going to kind of be a repeat for us. And my buddy, I'm like, he'd get a steak. Like, in LA, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like they don't do barbecue like that over there, but they do steak in LA. Yeah. Um, so then when the, 
when the lady mentioned kanji, I was like, I looked at the menu and I was like, yeah, let's do that. Like Caribbean with, you know, and like the, the vibe in there was awesome too. So yeah, that, that would, I would say was, was the highlight. And then, you know, just getting to see everybody and hang out after was uh, for a couple of days was, was pretty awesome. Cause you know, people traveled from, from pretty far to get there. And, you know, we made them come out and, middle to later part of the week as well. So wanted to make it worth their time. Well, you had a lot of family coming from California. Is Jasmine a Texas gal or does, did she have family coming from someplace else? Yeah. So she grew up in the Dallas area in uh, little Elm. If you know where that's at. Yeah. Same, same high school as Ryan Watson, Terrence Brooks. (laughs) Oh, I didn't realize that. Cool. Yeah. So, That's why yeah. she always jokes it. She's like, how are both the corners at Texas from Little Elm? <laughs> like, it is kind of random. Yeah, DB, new DBU, I guess, or DB High School, whereas that was Lamar High School in Houston for the longest time. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, cool no little fact. Well, another bonus of Thursday, on top of you getting wedding and y'all having a blast, is your Oakland Raiders put the final nail in the coffin of one Brandon Staley as the head football coach of the LA chargers. How about that? So I'm, I'm doing Trey. I'm doing my thing at the wedding. I'm having a good time. One of the guys comes up to me. He's like, the Raiders are up 42, nothing. And I was like, I'm going to punch you in the face. If you're like joking with me about this stuff on my, on my wedding day, like it, we have one of those friend groups where, Almost nothing is off limits. Basically nothing yeah. is off limits. But I was like, my wedding day might be the one day to not to not F with me too much, mm-hmm. you know? And he was like, no, I'm serious. And obviously I had like locked my phone in the other room and all that. And he showed he showed it to me and I immediately ran over my dad, who obviously is one of the reasons I'm a big Raiders fan. And yeah. I was like, I think we just got Brandon Staley fired. Yep. <laughs> you know, and it's always one of those where you, when something, somebody like a coach actually does get fired later, you're like, God, I'm really an asshole for like feeling the way I do about this, but I don't know. Just from everything I saw, like he kind of treated people like shit. A lot of the time that he was, he was a coach and acted real arrogant. So yeah, dude, dude got put he in his place. Arrogance about him that made it very easy to, uh, yeah, I'll just say I rooted for his demise. I did. And it wasn't just about Brandon Staley either, by the way, it's also a bunch of sports media blowhards who were acting like him refusing to value three points and go for it on just about every fourth down situation, including by the way, at the ends of games where he needed to be punting the ball down the field in a one score game versus going for it on fourth and two from his own 30, where his team would sometimes luck out and still actually win the game. But sometimes it would cost them where it's like, no, this guy is reckless with his decision-making. There's calculated risk taking, and there's just being a moron about it because a fucking notebook tells you to do it. And he there's hard into the ladder. Yeah, there there's aggressive, and then there's arrogant. Yeah, and there's a there's a fine line. Like I always feel like Doug Peterson started started this a little bit, and I I think he toes that line really well because I feel like when he was a coach of the Eagles, he kind of started the. Like yeah. times where you'd go, wow, nobody ever goes for that on fourth down yep. and makes those kind of decisions. And maybe it just worked out for the guy more. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have the exact numbers in front of me of how successful he's been going for it on fourth down versus Staley, but it just felt like his, you know, straddled the line between 
notebook and gut feel and just actual common sense more often than, than a lot of other coaches. That's, that's what it is. There's a common sense element to it where nothing is black and white. Like you shouldn't take the field goal every time, but you also shouldn't go for it every time. Like you need to feel of the game. Exactly. You need to know the feel of the game and you also need to understand situations better than he did too. It's like it, all the past up field goal opportunities are one thing when you're literally going for it in your own end in a one score game with like two minutes left. And it's like, well, if we get this first down here, the game is over. Otherwise we need the defense to make a stop. You're the guy who's supposed to be most expert on defense. Like have a little bit of faith in that unit getting the job done. But no, well, he's, he he was brashly himself all the way to the bitter end, including some of the really ugly pressers over these last few weeks too, where he's being asked hard questions, but it's the media's job to ask those sorts of questions. And he's responding not in kind. In kind is... Uh, speaks to the sort of generosity. He's just responding arrogantly like he always does. And now he doesn't have a job. And I always try to be fair in regard to the press conferences of, okay, this is being tweeted out or put out sometimes a lot of times without the context of the question and how it was asked. Like there was the one last week that was, I think the question must've just been, or the headline was Staley believes he deserves to still be the head coach of the chargers. And it's like, okay, people are jumping on that. And the question was probably, do you feel that you deserve to still be the head coach of the Chargers? And of course he's going to say yes, but also there's a way to say that and still show confidence in yourself, which regardless of what's going on, you obviously need that to coach, play, run an NFL team, be a part of an NFL team. You need self-confidence. But there's a way to say it like, you know, if you if you ask me that, then maybe you say, I still, in my heart of hearts, believe that I deserve to be the head coach of this team. We've struggled at times this year. I'll always believe that we can right the ship. And, you know, but at the end of the day, that's up to Tom Telesco and the Spanish family to make the decisions that they think are best for the Chargers. And everything about that answer at least still says, hey, this guy is self-confidence, but he gets what's going on here. He gets that they're having a bad season. And it was almost like he refused to ever admit that things were going wrong. Which, which is an issue too. And it's like, okay, dude, like you can tell us that you're putting on however you want, but we all know that this is an absolute dumpster fire. Like the rest of us aren't idiots here. Yeah. There's a personal accountability that seems to be lacking in certain guys. Tom Herman had this too. Yeah. I realized the Tom Herman era wasn't as bad wins and losses wise, or just the way things looked on the field as say Charlie strong, but there was still some serious flaws in that program that he just refused to address. And he would talk about wanting to address those things. But in the end, the output on the field says a lot more than any words that you're speaking in a press conference. And he would also get very defensive and very arrogant in his answers where it's like, look, I'm smarter than anybody else in this room. How dare you ask me this question right now? Brandon Staley was never able to shake that either. Cause you're right. There is a, there's a, a modest way, a, a way that has some humility to it that allows some leniency as you go through hard times. But Brandon Staley does not have that gear, at least up to this point in his life, he doesn't. If he's ever going to get another head coaching opportunity again, he's going to have to figure that out. He's going to have to take classes on how to be a little bit more personable or something because that's his his ceiling is going to be DC going forward, if that at this point, because the head coaching thing went so poorly. 
Well, and Trey, ironically enough, you know who who had the same issues or very similar issues in that regard? Josh McDaniels. And the mm-hmm. whole thing when he got hired with the Raiders was, oh, the, there was, I read so many stories, Trey, in The Athletic, all the guys that I follow and, you know, that cover, wh- whoever they are, that cover Vegas closely. All the things that were written, national stuff, local stuff. And everything was Josh McDaniels is a different guy. He's ready for this second crack. And because a lot of what happened to him and why it burned and crashed and burned so quickly in Denver was because he didn't, he didn't, you know, nurture the relationships as well. And it's one thing that we've heard Sark talk about, obviously completely different dynamic doing it in college versus pro, but at the end of the day, it's still people. So, you know, we were built of this different guy coming in with the Raiders and he's going to value the personal relationships. And by what a season and a half in nobody liked that guy in the building, or at least clearly nobody that mattered, you know, nobody had his back when ish hit the fan. And that's what happened with Staley here too. And I, I, you know, I knew somebody, you know, old our, our guy heavy in the comments here. So he's saying who would come out and say anything other than yes. Well, we, we acknowledge that the difference is, you can say, yes, I still believe in myself and deserve to be the head coach. But when you have a track record of just completely arrogant comments exactly. in press conferences, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. And yes, like it, two things can happen at the same time. You can vouch for yourself while also still acknowledging and taking accountability for what's happened during that season. Scientific research has proven this. There are three factors that really affect the weight that what you say has and it's a a surprisingly small percentage of the actual words that you're saying a whole lot more has to do with your body language and the tone with which you say those things and brandon staley is a great example of that yeah there was a defensiveness there and so on the one hand you don't fault him but you also need to show a little bit of humility in down times that get that garners you uh, some more sympathy from folks who otherwise might be a little bit harsher because otherwise you're just going to make it more difficult on yourself. And Josh McDaniels, I'm glad you brought that example up because I'm not a Broncos fan. I'm not a Patriots fan and I'm not a Raiders fan either. There are years that I've found myself rooting for the Raiders and me being an NFL bastard minus the Houston Oilers and just picking teams year to year. But Josh McDaniels was deplorable the first time I ever really paid attention to him at Denver. And then I watched him go back to new England and he remained the same guy, but you can be that guy when you're merely the offensive coordinator and you're hiding behind bill Belichick too. That becomes a much easier persona to pull off when you are the head guy, you need to show a little bit of modesty because otherwise any goodwill that you build up is going to go away pretty quickly not just because of the resting dick face, which I suffer through also, but because it's almost like you go out of your way at times to destroy that goodwill. And that's something that Tom Herman did routinely. Built up an insane amount of goodwill when he first got to Texas. And within a week, he had pulled all the media into a closed-door meeting and said, you guys had better not report something without running it by us first. Otherwise, we're going to make your life and the life of whoever floated that information living hell on you. It's like you're making threats at this point to people who are responsible for making you look good or bad, like good luck with that route, bro. Cause my guess is it's not going to work all that well. And sure enough, it didn't. He had worn his welcome out just like Josh McDaniels did. Although in a little bit more time within what three to four years, by the end of that last year, there were rumors of Texas openly pursuing urban Meyer (laughs) in the middle of Tom Herman coaching a season where he had still had years left on his contract. 
But that's also the same year where players were afraid to say hello to him in the football offices when they passed by him because he was always in such a mood. And so Brandon Staley needs to figure it out. I don't know if he needs to go to therapy or uh, maybe this uh, this dose of reality is going to help him figure some things out. But otherwise, this may be it for him as a head coach. I know that if I'm an NFL owner or a GM, there's no way in hell I'm hiring Brandon Staley again until I can uh, really have a conversation with him about the decisions that he makes in-game and how he's going to be doing things very differently going forward. But also asking him, have you addressed these seeming personality flaws that keep you from really holding yourself accountable in situations and making the necessary adjustment. Cause you can be the smartest guy in the room. If you aren't willing to admit, I don't know, or I've been doing something wrong and here's how I need to do it differently. Next time. You're not that fucking bright. I'm sorry. Well, and Tom Herman had a little bit of that too, with always every answer coming across. Like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room yeah. and on the personal relationship front, it's funny you bring that up about Tom Herman or just some of those things that he dealt with where he had built up the, you know, goodwill early and then it went out the window quickly and not necessarily with the media, but clearly. And, and again, when we say this, it doesn't mean that every single player disliked playing for Tom Herman or disliked him as a person. I mean, I've listened to Cardell Jones who played for him at Ohio state talk about, and I wasn't the head coach, but talk about how much he loves him. Like I'm sure Herman has relationships with, a lot of players, but I think to tie some. it back to, to what we're seeing. Yes. Yeah, some, okay. <laughs> but what, what we're tying it back to with what we see now with Sark and what he's talked so much about and what it seems genuine coming from the players of how much they love playing for him and his vulnerability and, and his accountability. I mean, I feel like people love to use the word vulnerability. Now it probably is more the, 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 the second one. It's probably more simply just the accountability of just, Hey, you know, we've heard players say that all the time he gets up there before before meetings and tape and before he gets into anything that those guys did wrong, he says, here's what I did. Here's, here's what I should have done. Now, of course, there's been moments where he gets defensive or he gets snippy. Like, I mean, yeah. when you have a relationship with the media, that's just what's, that, that's just what's going to happen sometimes. But I remember after the OU game, I think we brought this up, you know, the, that next week, Kirk Bowles asked him about the, the goal line, when they got stopped four times, basically from the one yard line, right there on the goal line. And before Kirk could even finish the question, Sark just started laughing. He goes, that sucked. That sucked. Mm -hmm. And I think even just little comments like that, whether it's the media, the players, the fans, your bosses, like just seeing someone take that accountability. And then clearly what we've now seen, like you've got to put it results on the field and put it into practice after that. But what we've seen since then, I think those moments then begin to carry even more weight and build even more trust in a locker room. When you then see somebody actually say, Hey, my bad, that was terrible. I let you guys down in that spot and then not let it happen again. I mean, and how good has his play calling been the last couple games? I mean, it's some of, and I don't claim to be a football genius or a football savant, but I played football for a long time, different offenses, different levels. And I've watched it a long time. I have friends that know the game really high or at a really high level and have coached. And I think I can even look at it and say, this is some of the best play calling of, of Sark's career. Like, <laughs> I mean, he was in his bag the last few weeks. So to see him then take to take accountability and then to take it to his next level. Yeah. That's going to elevate everybody. So again, that's a long winded way of just saying the difference between some of these guys 
uh, is is stark, and it starts with accountability. And even one one last quick thing on that is how far have we come from Tom Herman not even using the punter or kicker's name, not calling specialists by their name? I see your eyes rolling that back of your head off so bad because Michael right. Dixon fucking punter. How exactly? Dude, that, that dude's probably going to be the dude's the next Ray guy. Like, yeah. I mean, he's awesome to not it's even call him by his name. NFL history right now. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a relatively harmless bit. That's just like, but it's just old and, and unnecessary and tired. And then now to see Sark gushing about Burt Auburn, sticking by Burt Auburn when he struggled a little bit at the beginning of the year and seeing him get it back on track and, you know, what he did in a couple of these games this year, just, you know, nailing field goals, multiple field goals from long distance. Um, yeah, it's just, again, it's a, it's a long way of saying these relationships, they just freaking matter. And acting a certain way does matter, especially when you're the head coach. It definitely does. You know, personal accountability, all the situations you just listed, it's extremely important. The one that I think about the most, though, with that is parent to offspring. And the importance and where my words end up meaning the most is when I admit to my kids that I haven't done something correctly. And that empowers them to admit when they've made a mistake also and apologize if need be, and then try to make that adjustment, but not just like in the moment mistakes that I make with them or just in general, but talking with them about my mistakes from the past. Like they want to hear about it at the dinner table every night. Dad, tell us about another time you got in trouble at school. <laughs> I don't have that many of these stories, guys, but if it helps you get in less trouble, then I'm happy to regale some of the stories that we've talked about over time. But it's just funny to see how my own kids respond to me just saying, you know what? I don't know everything and I'm sorry because I handled the situation here that I wish I would have handled a little bit differently. And hopefully the next time I do. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, that whatever level of life you're doing, that that carries carries a lot of weight. And I think we're seeing Texas reap the benefits of it now, whether it's 12 and one on the field, Trey, or some of the recruiting wins that they've gotten the last couple of weeks is, you know, the, the portal continues to stay open until January 2nd. And then obviously Texas closes out another top five signing class at the high school level on on Wednesday on National Signing Day. <laughs> stuff right. clearly matters heavy 7602 <laughs> says on the youtube comments line not to defend tom herman but kickers suck and aren't real football players well of course that's true heavy but your head coach can't say that we can think that we can believe that the head coach needs to be a little bit more respectful than that though yeah because you're going to want that dude to have the self-confidence to walk up and you know, kick the game winning field goal when you've coached your shittiest game and your defense couldn't get a stop and your offense barely got you in field goal range. You're going to want that dude to hit a 52 yarder, you know, and have the confidence to do that. But yeah, in, fair in fairness to Tom Herman, Bert Auburn would have only kicked about a quarter of the field goal opportunities he had this year. But if he had struggled, Tom Herman refusing to call him by his name probably would have uh, made those struggles even worse. And he's not somebody who's reliable down the stretch either. A rare <laughs> yeah. opportunity he has. Yeah. That's... Hey, did you did you cover uh, Texas volleyball at all this year? So it's tough to get out to a lot of those games, just given the time and and yeah. you know sometimes Friday the resources night. and yeah, over at Gregory Gym and and all that stuff. But I mean, we pretty much put them in our sports cast every night, and 
Um, Bob was, I saw Bob was out there, uh, at the tower lighting last night too. Obviously I've, I've been off for a little bit, so <laughs> probably would have been me down there with him. Um, if, if, if I'd been working, but I mean, what else can you say about the consistency of that program? Obviously the job that Jared Elliott's done in what two plus decades now at Texas is, is unbelievable. And in that tournament, Trey, I mean, you're, you're a big volleyball guy. That is one of the most difficult tournaments to win back to back. I feel like just the oh, yeah. the random randomness of it, and I'm maybe not comparing this to I was gonna compare it to basketball in a way, not necessarily the upsets in like the first two rounds, but just to beat that many good teams in single elimination two years in a row, I mean, that is complete and utter dominance. So to do that two years in a row and also in a year where, you know, yeah, you bring two huge pieces back and leaders back and really experienced players back and Maddie Skinner and then Asia O'Neill. Yeah. They brought those two back, but they were also breaking in a bunch of new players They had players taking on huge roles. And you, you, you saw that early on when they struggled, but to me, the sign of the coaching from Jared Elliott and his staff and to credit O'Neill and Skinner and some of those other leaders on that team to really show the leadership and the development, I think it, it's seen the most in the way they bounce back early in the season when they were trying to start over fresh and we're losing to some of those bigger programs like Stanford, you know, and then they avenge that loss on the road in the tournament um, to get back to the final four again and to beat a powerhouse like Nebraska, the way that they did. And it was really only what it was really only close in that first set. Yeah. I mean, I think it was what 22, 22 at one point, And then after that, you know, and then to see the, the Nebraska coach run his mouth afterwards. I mean, it was just all, it was just all so sweet. He, he got humiliated and he, there were obviously sour grapes that he was dealing with in that moment while having to give that presser to media who were asking them difficult questions. And he came across as being very bitter about the fact that Jared Elliott has done a better job of using the transfer portal than he has. And as I tweeted out last night, like I don't fault him because this team just got their ass kicked and he's having to answer these questions, but look, you better recognize where your sport's at and how you need to evolve to stick with the Joneses because otherwise you're going to turn into Montgomery Ward or Blockbuster Video. Like, you either adapt or die. Or you're going to turn into Nebraska football. Made about this Texas volleyball team gaining a sort of resilience at the start of the season after starting off 5-3. and three. Texas football team has been a great example of that this year, too. If you don't evolve, you will get left behind in this era of college sports. That goes for a Nebraska program that's been really good over the last 10 to 15 years now, as consistent as just about anybody. And Texas is obviously on that list too. But let's not act like Nebraska hasn't come in and poached really good players from other programs, the Longhorns included, when they came yep. and got Lexi's son a, a few years ago, who was yeah, our, our a, heavy a just mentioned that in the comments. Texas, and then all of a sudden goes to Nebraska the very next year. Sorry you didn't win a national championship with her. Let's not act like you didn't go into the transfer portal and pull her to Nebraska with the intent of making yourself stronger by while also weakening the competition. Yeah, he had absolutely no issue doing that when he when he wanted or I'm not saying she was pursued or any, I'm not claiming any uh, tampering or anything there. But when she hopped in the portal and wanted to go to Nebraska, yep, no issues there. Yeah, no <laughs> issues there. It's funny how that works. Yeah, I, I was, it was I, just. Crazy how dominant a performance that was. Maddie Skinner was incredible, but really the whole team. And by the way, his analysis of half the starters being transfers, that's not accurate either. 
It's a mix. It's just like what Steve Sarkeesian has done in building this Texas football roster. You recruit uh, your players out of high school, but you also go get players from other schools that are really talented that you think will fit into your system. He had to talk Maddie uh, Maddie Skinner back into playing volleyball again. She was pretty much done at that point. Didn't want to play volleyball anymore. And he brought her to the school and got her to love the sport once again. And here she is, arguably the best player in the sport, even though she didn't win the player of the year honor. She won the final four most outstanding player uh, yesterday after Texas won it all. But she's a transfer. There's another transfer. Asia O'Neal has been here for five years now. Molly Phillips is a player who started here at Texas. The libero for the Longhorns started at Texas. The freshman setter who got so much love over these last couple of matches. She is a true freshman who came to Texas straight out of high school. And it's not all juniors and seniors either, by the way. I'm sorry, Nebraska, that you didn't have a single senior on your roster this year, but maybe that helps you next year, make another run to the championship game, and maybe you can get over that hump this next time. But I guarantee you this, if Nebraska does not do a better job in the transfer portal, they will be less competitive more years than not because that's the direction that college sports in general are taking. And for a sport like volleyball that continues to grow in popularity, the money will follow too. You mark my words. Well, and also going back to Asia O'Neal real quick, she's one of those players where she had, you know, the COVID year gave her extra year of eligibility. She redshirted and all that. Um, But after the game, talking about some good post-game comments that were made, she talked a bunch, and so did Jarrett, about the relationship that they have and how close they are. She said she sees Jarrett Elliott as a second father, basically. And obviously, we know she's got a great one <laughs> in her pops, Jermaine O'Neal, who – how cool is it to see him at all those matches? Like, I love – sometimes I get annoyed of how much they cut away to one person. Yeah. I couldn't get enough of that. Just <laughs> proud proud dad, so into it. And obviously, we all know him and his basketball career. And, and that I thought that was so cool to see, but – yeah, after the game, she's talking about how she sees Jared Elliott not just as a coach, as as a as a father figure. Do you think she comes back for another year and plays another year after she'd already won a national championship if she doesn't have that relationship? Like you said, he helped. I mean, I didn't even know that about Maddie Skinner that she was on the verge of getting, you know, basically not not want to play volleyball anymore. Won a championship in Kentucky and was looking to transfer. I don't know if it was that off season or the next off season, but she was burned out. And she came to Texas and is like, I, I don't know if I'm going to come back there. And he's like, look, we're going to help you refine that love for the game. And she did. Yeah. And one paraphrased version of that story, but I'm sure, sure. very complimentary of uh, just what Texas means to her now and how, how this, uh, this program saved her as a player and saved her as a, a student athlete in a lot of ways too. And it's really cool to hear that. No, absolutely. Really cool to hear that. And just hate hearing the other, the other comments there. Cause it just, diminishes and takes away from you know all the work and building the relationships developing the talent recruiting the talent keeping the talent I mean we know nowadays half of recruiting is just keeping your same roster intact recruiting the players on your roster to not leave is part of it now too and just all the credit in the world to you know Jared Elliott everybody on their staff that (laughs) does anything to help them win volleyball matches and then obviously all, all the players so That was really cool to see that yesterday. Kudos to Steve Sarkeesian and his coaches, despite the fact that they are in the midst of preparing for a college football playoff semifinal game against Washington on New Year's night in New Orleans. They have been very active in the transfer portal in all the right ways and also on the recruiting trail too. Uh, Flipped a safety commitment who had previously given his pledge to Florida a little bit earlier today. 
after we learned that they got one of the top defensive players this cycle with that safety nickel corner combo, a kid who is from the Austin area that Babalu did a piece on back, uh, back when he was in high school, huh? Yeah, Trey, I was talking about that earlier. Uh, Andrew Makuba's just got a, he just got a great story. He grew up in Zimbabwe. Uh, parents moved to America when they were nine years old, but I mean, he talks a lot about, you know, growing up in Zimbabwe and some of the things that, you know, it's when you hear it, you, you realize, man, there's a lot of things just that we take for granted yeah. in this country stuff. That's just, um, you know, an afterthought for us. It's just part of, part of daily life. He talked a lot about that in the story and just coming here and then falling in love with football and some of the, some of the ways that he kind of learned about football when they knew they were going to come to America of, you know, going on YouTube and looking at videos and stuff like that. And I, I think he didn't even play defensive back until he was like a sophomore or junior at LBJ. And he played wide receiver before that. And I think one of the things from watching him in high school that helps him is, and I know a lot of guys in high school will play both ways, but actually nowadays there's a lot of kids that don't, but he started as a receiver and even continued to play receiver when he moved to DB, but was such an awesome athlete and so good at going up and getting the ball that, you know, he's one of those guys almost like reminds me of the story of Trayvon Diggs at Alabama being told by Nick Saban, dude, you might, you might want to check out corner. Like you could play a receiver here more than likely, but we got a lot of dudes that can do that. Like you can make yourself a lot of money. If you, you know, spin around, put those ball skills in play, you still have the same speed and all that. So yeah, Makuba is one of those kids, just a, a crazy good athlete. And, from the few encounters that I've had with him, uh, I did a follow-up story with him um, when COVID happened and we were just looking to follow up on any story that we could when there weren't games going on. And he was nice enough to do a story with me kind of just following up on how much his recruitment had blown up um, mm -hmm. since, you know, it was kind of starting to pick up when he did the story with Bob and, and Anthony, but I was going through it with him and he was showing me all the offers he had. And it was cool. He kind of had it the old school way where he opened a shoebox and showed me like all the letters he had from all these major colleges and, and whatnot. So yeah, just a, a really, really cool kid, really cool personality, a great story, super easy to root for. And obviously Jamal Fenner's on staff now at Texas who coached him at LBJ. Yep. So I'm sure that that connection helped there. He's the uh, coach Fenner's the director of high school relations for, for Sark on his staff. And, you know, just let, just love to see a kid coming home now and, it's crazy to think about when, you know, he's going to be a junior and when he was going through the recruiting process, not that Texas was in a terrible place, but it was some of the stuff we were just talking about. <laughs> it was Tom Herman and his staff and to see a kid that good, literally, I mean, if you're, if you live in Austin, you know how close LBJ is to DKR, to the 40 acres <laughs> for him to really, I mean, I, I don't think anybody ever thought he was close to committing to Texas for that to happen. Um, is kind of, kind of crazy. And then Garrett Wilson's another one. And, you know, around that same time that you think about. So to have him back in Austin now has got to be really cool for Longhorns. And like I said, just an easy, easy guy to root for who's got a great story. And the Longhorns who fill an area of need with him at safety, of course, a position that's been a bit hit or miss this year. So a potential um, area of need at wide receiver next year, assuming that Jordan Whittington, who definitely will be gone, and then Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell end up going pro as well. There's a void at wide receiver. Jonte Cook might fill one of those spots. DeAndre Moore is going to commit or uh, going to compete for another. Ryan Wingo, 
uh, Niblet's on the roster as well. You hope all of these guys can come in and help fill that void, but you'd also like to have guys who have established themselves at the college level competing for those jobs too. And that's exactly what Matthew Golden is. The former Houston Whiteout gave his commitment to Texas on Saturday, I believe. And if there is any one guy who can maybe do what Xavier Worthy has done for this team over the last few years, not a one-to-one comparison necessarily. Both guys are a little bit on the smaller side, play bigger, play with a sort of physicality. Matthew Golden a little bit slighter of fr- uh, less less slighter frame, I should say, than Xavier Worthy is. But he can not only potentially be the number one wideout for this football team next year, but also do some of the kick returning that we saw at Xavier Worthy these last few years too. Yeah, and, and you know when you look at his numbers, they don't exactly jump off the page. But everyone here watched watched him score two touchdowns on Texas, <laughs> yeah. and he, you know he had a couple two touchdown games where he showed a lot of potential there. I think what thirty eight catches each of the last two years, and something like in the four hundred yard range. Um, but again, he wasn't playing on a very good team and not necessarily playing for the best quarterbacks. I know, I mean, Clayton Toon last year ended up going to the NFL. So probably his freshman year when he wasn't ready to maybe take that huge leap was when he had the better quarterback. Um, but getting him in here and putting him in that receiver room that, man, it's not necessarily going to be proven at the start of next year, Trey, but holy cow, is that room going to be talented you look at Jonte Cook as somebody that everybody thinks is going to break out. DeAndre Moore was a guy that you can tell Sark and his staff are really high on. And um, you mentioned Ryan Wingo, him coming in as a true freshman, five-star recruit, one of the highest rated recruits for Texas. So yeah, to bring in a guy who at least has two years of, you know, big time college football experience under his belt is obviously going to help, but you know, it's not like he's going to immediately come in and, and just be given number one receiver status by any means. No, that, that competition is going to be so much fun to watch uh, to see what those guys can do moving forward next year. When, you know, I think one of the, what that's going to be, I don't want to say a a weakness because clearly at at Texas, there's been a few positions this year where we thought maybe running back would be a weakness. I I think the term question mark probably better, or at least an unknown, you know, the running back room was a bit of an unknown. And now by the end of the year, we're talking about does Texas have one of the deepest running back rooms in the country? And at the beginning of the season, that was a weakness. So again, a testament to the recruiting that they've done, the development that they've done to keep some of these guys engaged when they're not getting a lot of time, whether it's a Jaden Blue or a Jonathan Brooks before he broke out. So, you know, now if you're a Texas fan, you hope you see the same thing out of the receiver room next year. And heck, even even defensive line, I would say defensive line wasn't like a sure thing. Nobody was like, yeah, Tavondre Sweat, he's going to win the Outland. Hmm. It was Tavondre Sweat, he's going to get a little more run with Keandre Coburn off to the NFL, Moro Ojimo off to the NFL. Um, so I think you're seeing all the right signs with Texas. And one quick thing on the portal too, where you mentioned Makuba being a position of need, going out and getting an experienced guy who's done it at a big time program. That's that's kind of the blueprint, I think, now for you know a, a blue blood program like Texas that's got it, that's got it humming and say, hey, every year we're gonna have, you know, quite a position groups that are question marks or positions of need. And we can go recruit those out of high school, but then we can also go get a guy like a Makuba to be a plug immediate plug and play guy to add on to who they bring back. And, and that's the way they're going to build the roster. Probably see them go get, you know, maybe sign 20 to 25 high school guys a year, uh, which isn't that dissimilar to what, what was happening before, but then go get, be really selective about the positions and the guys that you do get out of the portal, which is what they're doing right now. 
we've seen blue blood programs resist this change. And what happens to those programs to the point that I made about Nebraska volleyball a few minutes ago, yeah, they become Clemson football that I was just about to point out Makuba's former school. Dabo Sweeney has just bitched and moaned about NIL and the transfer portal for the last couple years while doing very little to address very obvious positions of need for his football team, including the offensive line, including the skill positions on in his program, whereas they used to be a bit of a wide receiver U several years ago. That's kind of gone away now, and they need to find some more help uh, for that offense because it was uh, not – an explosive bunch this year, despite the fact that you have a really good quarterback back there with Clay, Kate Klubnick. And I realized that he wasn't perfect this year, but he can only do so much on his own when he's getting very little help with the blocking in front of him. Shipley was a decent option at running back, although not nearly as good as uh, national commentators want to make, wanted to make him out to be at times, <laughs> but he just had a lack of talent on the outside and that's his coach's fault. That's his coach not recognizing that you can't just rely on high school recruiting these days. You have to go hit the portal. You have to be willing to play that NIL game too, by the way, which thankfully for Texas, uh, they've got a lot of business-minded people who were able to organize something very quickly when all that went down. And it's only continued to be not just a resource, but be an influential factor for them in modern times. And look, you can say, that's unfair if you want to, but that's a big reason why a lot of people, myself included, are pushing for more distinct separation between the highest level of college football and some of those secondary levels. Because there are going to be teams that can compete resource-wise with what Texas does and those that can't. Those that can, that should all be the same level. Those that can't are playing more of a traditional type of game. There will still be some NIL at that level too, but it won't be nearly the transactional deal that what you're seeing at a Texas or an AM or an Alabama or Ohio State or Michigan or, you know, name a school in the SEC or Big Ten right now. They're either playing that game or they are going to be even further behind in the next three to four years. And Trey, you know, the coaches that should be complaining about the portal are not, should not be the head coach at Clemson. True. It should be the head coach at, I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of another G5 school in South Carolina at Coastal. It should be. Yeah. It should be Tim Beck or Texas OC at Coastal. He should be the one saying, dude, every time I recruit a diamond in the rough yep. and I develop him and then you all find out about him, then you all throw money at him and he leaves and I get punished for being good at my job with less resources. Mm -hmm. Those are the coaches that I think have the most valid frustration in the portal, which to your point, your example of splitting it up makes even more sense when you think about it like that and you throw that example out. But to hear the head coach at Clemson, after all the investing that they've done in that program, to which, to an extent, you know, he deserves a lot of the credit for of putting a product out there. And and I think that at a certain point, you know, Dabo going in there to some of them and saying, maybe if it was just from a, a facility standpoint, you know, a decade before NIL, when they started their rise of saying, hey, we need to compete from a facility standpoint the things that they added and the way that they were able to keep up, they did that. And now you would, it just confuses me that a coach like Dabo would look at the portal and see it. And again, you could have some comments on it here, or there that I don't like it, especially early on. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't want to hold too many people to their initial comments on something when something first comes out, but then wouldn't you quickly realize, Hey, this is a resource for us. And wouldn't you say my job as a coach or in any profession 
is to use all of the resources that I have available to me to be the best at what I am doing. Like, it's just the, the dots don't connect for me on how against it he is. Well, let's be perfectly clear about this. This is a lot of what's happening above board. Now Clemson has been doing below the table for a long time, as has Alabama, as has Texas, as has A&M. Just a whole lot more of it is legal. And for some reason, that becomes problematic for Dabo, who is a guy, to your point, his program in the last decade has added a fucking laser tag facility and a lazy pool, a lazy river to the football facility. Right, but but these players can't be on a billboard and get paid 40 grand for a year to, you know, drive a car around and do a couple commercials, God forbid. But let's make sure they can play laser tag. I think his concern is not necessarily NIL. It's what it's going to turn into. But I also think that it's foolish to to try and keep that dam from breaking because not only is that inevitable, it's deserved too. For far too long, these kids have gotten the raw end of this deal. They're as important as anybody to how much college football is worth in 2023. And they've been underpaid pawns up to this point. Some of them have gotten paid decently while they're in college, but there aren't, uh, there aren't any assurances for a lot of guys who do put their livelihoods on the line, many of whom don't really have any pro prospects. So it's like once the college game is done, then they're SOL, then they're out on their own. And any injuries right. that they've amassed playing high school or college football, that's on them the rest of the way. And that's where the the story gets even more fucked up, where I think it's worth these players pursuing something akin to a union that gives them some assurances and guarantees and protection. Because these universities and the NCAA, they're still trying to fight to keep these kids from being considered university employees. And I think that there is a conversation to be had with that, with some of the Olympic sports and some of the lesser sports. When you're talking about football, the reason why they're fighting this battle, these these athletics departments and universities and the NCAA, is because they realize just how dangerous the sport is. And they know that once these players are considered employees of the university – all of a sudden, short and long-term disability become factors too. But I'm sorry, that's the reality when you're talking about football. Some of these guys are going to suffer injuries that will require care beyond the two to three years that the NCAA is offering insurance once their playing career is over with. It just is. Yeah, and if you're Dabo, you it doesn't benefit you to be the one that champions the cause for the universities and all that. Like, let the suits be the bad guys. Like, yeah. even if you agree with them and you're on their side, let them be the bad guys because you coming out and being anti-player, like I never even thought I'd have to say this out loud. It's not going to help you get players want to play for you. No. <laughs> Max, Max always been good at being the opposite of that. Mac has always gone to back fat for the players. He did it at Texas. He's doing it at North Carolina now. All right. I don't want to stop this conversation, but I want to get to a couple of real quick things before we're done. Cause it's right at five o'clock right now. Couple quick Christmas questions. First question: Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie? The movie Die Hard. Is it a Christmas movie? Yes. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Ooh, tough call between Home Alone and uh, Christmas Story. Home Alone and Christmas Story. All right, great selections there. And you just got married last Thursday, so I'm guessing you got what you wanted for Christmas this year. Family, congratulations on that. Thank you. But if you could ask for one more thing for this year's Christmas, what would it be? (laughs) Money. (laughs) Money, yeah. 
Uh, if you find that tree, please let me know because I would like yeah. to know that too. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else besides that. Just terribly, you know, uh, what's the word? Materialistic answer there. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, I'll throw in a uh, health and wealth. How about that? I think that's a cop out, but that's probably the answer I would give too. And any uh, any parting thoughts on Christmas? Because you and I are not going to be on the airwaves next Monday. Even if there's a planned show, I will not be doing a three to five show on Christmas afternoon. No, I'll probably uh, probably pass on that one as well. Uh, not parting Christmas thoughts. Just uh, I mean, you know, now now it's my my job to make it really special for a young human. So that's that's definitely been you know been different having a five year old in the house where it's just. Like not, I've never been a Grinch, like don't get me wrong, but I've also never been the guy with the over the top Christmas stuff and decorations. And I mean, when I just had my place by myself, it was bachelor pad. Like I didn't even have a mini tree, you know, I'd celebrate Christmas and get people gifts and do stuff like that. But, but no, I was never, I was never like an over, over the top Christmas spirit kind of person. So now that's been different for me of kind of having to go more into, into that mode. And it's been really fun. What's the coolest thing you've got in your five-year-old this year? I uh, can't say that out loud because he might, might, might Whis- be able to hear whis- me. Whisper but. it. Whisper <laughs> it. Yeah, the crowd that's all um, about those quiet sounds and the microphones is going to love this. Still still, still working on it. So, still? Know. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have to find that out a couple of Mondays maybe. It may be three Mondays. We're going to be in New Orleans preparing for a, a, a college football playoff semifinal game two weeks from today, which is crazy to think about. But in the meantime, I'm so happy that you and I have gotten to do a weekly show starting this football season, and I uh, hope it continues well into the off season. And you guys have a Merry Christmas. Congratulations again on the marriage and uh, Happy New Year, although I think I'll see you probably before the uh, the official New Year. Happy on-air near year to you and your family, man. You, you as well, Trey. Merry Christmas to the Ellings. Happy New Year. And uh, do you know for sure if, if you're going to be in New Orleans? I will be. The wife is not going to be now, so it's a total dudes trip where okay. me, BK, Bucky, and maybe KD are going to be road tripping it together. And I guess you know because I'm on the trip now, I'm driving, and BK is going to try and pull off the uh, the the Wade Boggs mile. I forget what they call it, where you just basically try and drink a hundred beers by the end of the road trip. <laughs> so he's he's going to be in terrible shape by the time we get there on December 30th, if that happens. But I'm happy to be the driver too. I'm always the aider and a better in my group. So to uh, be behind the wheel is a good thing. Well, we need to we need to link up while while we're there. Definitely will grab a grab a meal, maybe a couple of beverages too. Sounds good. Cool, man. Merry Christmas. All right, Trey. Merry Christmas. Thank you to everybody for watching and listening today. If you are on YouTube, please do subscribe to Texas Sports Unfiltered. Click that thumbs up button as well. And make sure to download the free Texas Sports Unfiltered app. Just search Texas Sports Unfiltered in the Apple or Google Play Store for Jeff Bark and everybody else at Texas Sports Unfiltered. I am Trey Elling. We will talk to you starting tomorrow at 8 a.m., 8 to 5 as usual. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and hook them.